Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's Message of the Week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Good morning. I'm switched on and everything, that's perfect. Can I give that to you? Um, I am speaking on generosity and giving this morning in the first of a mini-series we're doing. Um, And you may feel like we speak on money quite a lot at this church because we have our generosity prayer every week. And really, um, the the reason for that is because the Bible has quite a lot to say about money and it talks about it quite a lot. You may also feel like um, you know what the Bible says about money. It says you have to give 10% of your income, right? That's what, that's what it says. Um, spoiler alert, the Bible doesn't say that. Um, I'm also aware of the intense irony of me speaking about generosity and giving. In a week where I'm buying a new car, um, God has been really <laughs> teaching me and Ruth a lot about what it means to be generous in a situation where we've just received money and then just at the same moment, our car breaks, and how can we be generous while also recognizing that God has given us abundantly for a particular purpose? Um, so hopefully some of that wisdom that we've been pondering over is going to come through in this talk this morning. Um, so I said the Bible has lots to say about generosity. Um, let me just read you some of the things that Jesus specifically has to say about money. He said, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. He said, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. He said, give to the one who begs from you. He said, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also. He said, in telling a parable, Adam used the same same bit last week when he spoke at the Yorkshire Day, In telling a parable about seed which falls on four types of ground, the one that falls upon rocky ground, he explains it like this. He says, um, the seed falling away among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. You may recognize that, that phrase, choking the word, from our generosity prayer, which we say every week. Jesus also said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, and when a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. And Jesus also said, you cannot serve both God and money. He has quite a lot to say about money. And here's a quote from um, Andrew Wilson, which is sort of a paraphrase of what I remember that he said, to be honest. But he says something like, um, when you grasp the generous heart of God, the question of what must I give becomes what can I give? And this has been really transformative for me because um, we've sort of had, had this idea that you give out of your income. And so when weird money comes in, like you get some inheritance money or you get a tax rebate, going, oh, have I already given 10% out of that or not? Do I need to give, do I need to give more out of this? And actually, um, reframing that as what can I give just, just changes the answer completely. So, an obvious place to go and look at what is the generous heart of God that he wants us to have would be the Old Testament sacrificial system. 
right? It's an obsolete system that we no longer need to adhere to because Jesus' once and for all sacrifice has made it utterly redundant. It is a system which is completely barbaric to most modern sensitivities. It's a system which, even in the Old Testament, while it was being done before Jesus paid that ultimate price, in Isaiah 1, God says, I detest your incense, your burnt offerings. I've had enough of them. I don't want any more bulls. It is, and in Psalm 50, God says, I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your field. Every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. So, an obvious place to really help us understand what it is exactly we're supposed to do in terms of generosity. We're going to look at the first six chapters of Leviticus. So we'd better start reading quickly, right? (laughs) But Torah is wisdom. It is not a law code that we've now thrown out. It is wisdom to help us understand what it was that God had always intended for his people from the start. It all points to Jesus. It was all supposed to teach us about how the world works and how Jesus was going to do everything for us in the end. In fact, God's rejection of those sacrifices in the Old Testament really speaks to the fact that those sacrifices were all about the heart of Israel's people. And having the right heart is still just as true now as it was then. So if we can understand the heart that God was trying to instill in Israel, then that heart is still the same heart we're supposed to have now, even though the sacrifices themselves are not necessary. Good news, we're not going to read six chapters of Leviticus together. I will paraphrase for you. And we're going to go through five particular sacrifices we're going to go through them in reverse order because they start on kind of a, they, well, they end on a kind of a downer, so we'll, we'll start with that one um, and then go backwards. And um, here they are. And they all sort of have two names, not because the Bible is inconsistent in how it talks about them, but because it's difficult to translate the words often, and so there's often two different translations that are used. Um, there are more sacrifices detailed throughout Leviticus. Many of them are to do with particular festivals, and these are the five that kind of ordinary people would just give on a regular basis. So they are the restoration or guilt offering, the purification or the sin offering, the peace offering or fellowship offering, gift or grain offering, ascension or burnt offering. The first one we're going to look at, the restoration or guilt offering. An example of this that is given in the Bible is where you borrow your neighbor's donkey, you use it, to harvest your field, and the donkey, by the end of it, is completely worthless. Maybe it's even died. How do you bring justice to that situation? And the Bible says that you should work out a monetary value for that donkey, pay it back to your neighbor, and add on an extra 20%. And in addition to that, give it that same 20% again to the temple. So, about... A year ago, I borrowed this electric sander from Tanya. (laughs) She's over there somewhere earlier. There you are. And I need to return it now because I've had it for a whole year. And I've used up all of the sandpaper that was in it. So I've been to home base. I've replaced, with an extra 20%, all the sandpaper that was in there, 
and I have 20% more sandpaper, and we don't have a, Le- a Levite or a priest to give it to, so anyone in the church that happens to need some sandpaper at the moment, I figure, yeah? Some sandpaper for you. And there's a sander with sandpaper plus 20% for you. And just, if this was your habit, if this is what you did as a nation, as a people group, if this was your regular, just take a moment and just think, what value would this instill in you? How would that change your thinking about how you treat other people, their possessions, how you view them in light of the fact that it is really costly to, to mistreat one another? And I think the logic behind this, the, giving the extra 20% to the, to the temple as well, is that not only have you hurt that person, but you've also hurt God because that person is an image of God. So how does that change your thinking about other people? There's an example of this being fulfilled in the New Testament when Jesus calls down Zacchaeus from a tree and he invites him to dinner. They have lunch together. And then after that, Zacchaeus pays back four times what he cheated off people. This is the effect of Jesus. There's not an extra 20% anymore when it's with Jesus. It's an extra 400% return. He also speaks about this in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Many of the passages that I'm going to quote um, from now will be from Matthew chapter 5 because he talks about money and the ethics, ethics of living so much. And Jesus says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and you there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. It is this sacrifice is the kind of mentality that Jesus is drawing on to say, make sure you make amends with the person, not just with God. You have to do both. Um, I'm going to give you some time to reflect on each of these five as we go through. How can you build this value into your life? How can you develop this heart in a modern-day scenario? Do you actually build in this repaying 20% habit in your life? You don't, you don't have to do that, um, but do you, is there something you can do which helps you develop that heart in the way that this Old Testament sacrifice was designed to do? Do you, when you recognize that you've hurt someone else, choose to give extra money to the church? Again, you don't have to. None of this is law for us, but sometimes these things are really helpful. Tim, if we can have the next slide. This, this heart that I want to develop in us, training your heart is an act of formation into Christ-likeness. And then when we give generously, that, that's an act of worship. And it actually then helps form our heart when we give. It makes us more generous. And so it's a cycle, and you can kind of start at any point of it. You can decide to build habits, which are going to train your heart, or you can just start giving and, and, and watch this cycle go. But I'm just going to give you 30 seconds to just contemplate on that um, restoration or guilt offering. And if there's something in your life, maybe there's one specific person you're thinking, oh, I need to make amends there, actually. Just going to give you a second to, to think on it.
Okay. The next offering we have is the purification or sin offering. And this is when you've committed a sin unintentionally. And later you realize or someone has pointed it out to you. And you go to the temple and you take with you the appropriate animal, which may depend on how, how big an animal you can afford. And um, you kill it. Right? You, you sprinkle its blood all over the place. It is gruesome. Just like if I were to just tear the head off this one right... <laughs> yeah, boo. <laughs> and it... I mean, again, what, what mindset is that going to build in your life if you've accidentally sinned and an animal, which is completely innocent, has to die because of that? It's recognizing that sin actually damages us and it damages others and it damages the world around us. It recognizes that there is a price to pay for sin. Paul says that the wages of sin is death. And although maybe you could get away with it, when you, when you are obeying this command to make this purification offering, you are choosing to pay the cost. Admittedly, the lamb pays the bigger cost, to be honest. Um, but you choose to pay that cost and just remember that sin is costly. I think there's something very easy to do about just knowing that Jesus has forgiven all our sin already. And so, what does it really matter if I sin one more time? But if you knew that one more sin meant another animal had to be slaughtered, I think you would maybe take a second thought before you, before you did that. Maybe our modern practice of breaking bread and wine as the sacrament given to us by Jesus isn't quite visceral enough. But maybe we should remember that when you break the bread, it's literally Jesus saying, my body was broken like that. When you pour wine, my blood was poured out like that. Do we remember enough that sin is costly? Forgiveness is and was not cheap. Is there anything that you could build into your life, any habit that you could form in yourself that would help train your heart towards that kind of attitude? I'll give you another 30 seconds to, to reflect. Next, on to slightly more joyful things, the peace offering, the fellowship offering, was an opportunity to really enjoy the abundance of God. It was where you might bring your fattened calf to the temple. The Levites would slaughter it for you. Thank you very much, Levites. They would take a bit of the meat for themselves, and thank you very much for your sacrifice. Here's the rest back. You would take your bull back home, and you would throw a party. You were obliged to invite the orphan, the widow, the foreigner, and having fed the orphan, the widow, the foreigner, and the Levite, who were kind of the four kind of vulnerable people who had no source of income for themselves in that society, 
you would be um, enjoying God's abundance and sharing it with those who are financially vulnerable. In this particular situation, I have chocolate to give out because we want to enjoy the abundance of God, and I'm sure this will help us all remember it. In this particular scenario, the people who are vulnerable, I would say, I'm not going to go around and give it to the widow and the orphan, but the people who are vulnerable are those who cannot have dairy. Because every time chocolate is given out in church, now having a son who is dairy intolerant, I can feel the pain of those people who normally cannot partake in this moment. So is there anyone here who is dairy intolerant, who never gets to enjoy the chocolate? And I just want you to enjoy the abundance of God. Enjoy the, there you go, enjoy the abundance of God. There we go. Okay. All right, and that's the peace and fellowship offering. That's a pretty good offering, right? (laughs) Is there a way that you can build into your life this habit of enjoying the abundance of God? Are there people that you can really um, choose to bless when you have more than enough in those moments? Do you invite people over for dinner and you choose those people based on the people who are going to be able to reciprocate? And maybe it would be really great to invite people who you know cannot reciprocate that. I'm just going to give you 30 seconds again. To reflect. Okay, I am running out of props. The gift offering or the grain offering was when you would bring, if you were a farmer who who grows wheat, you'd bring some of that grain with some oil, make up a little bit of bread, give some to the Levites, a little bit would be burned, and that would be it. That's just your way of saying thanks to God. It is um, very much just a way of saying, God, everything that you've given me is is yours still. Even though I'm looking after it, I'm using it for your purposes, it's still yours. You can take it back at any time. I am enjoying what you have given me, and I gladly share it back with you. There is an offering called the First Fruits Offering, which is to do with when the harvest comes in, and you give the first of that harvest back to God as a sacrifice. And that is exactly the same heart being produced in us. It is about giving out of what God has already given us, rather than, as has sometimes been misunderstood, as I give what I have because then God owes me and I'm going to get stuff back. That was how Israel's neighbors did sacrifices. They would sacrifice animals, they they would sacrifice their own children, because they believed that then the gods would owe them. They would be appeased, they would be happy with them, and the gods would send them everything they need. This is not about trying to twist God's arm into getting something out of him. It's also not a tax on your income. It's not whatever God gives you, you have to give some back. It's not the membership fee to the temple that as much as you get, you have to give some in order to be a part of it. 
is always a free will gift. In our modern context, um, I give by direct debit, I'm sure many of us do, and it can feel like that money is gone out of my account as soon as it comes in. And that's a really, really helpful thing, because practically, if I don't do that, I'm probably just going to forget quite often, or if I don't come to church one week, then I won't be able to give, and I want to know that I am giving faithfully and regularly. But we can sometimes forget to count the cost of what we're giving. When we look at how much money you've given over the year, you might actually realize that you have given away um, several coffees every week that you could have had. You might have given away enough to buy a new outfit every month that you, you could have had nicer clothes, you could have looked better, you could have had maybe an extra holiday or an extra car, because some of us you know, are able to give quite a lot, and it is it's worth counting that cost, because although in the short term you may feel quite sad about the cost, <laughs> really, it is a joyful thing to be able to say, oh, I've given, I have given to the Lord faithfully, and it produces in us more generosity. I think this grain offering, this gift offering, is probably one of the key um, ideas from where the kind of modern concept of Christian tithing comes from. So it's worth just talking about tithing, which is actually an entirely separate thing from the temple offerings. And tithing, we've got a slide for this. Tithing means giving a 10% of your of your income, right? Um, the next one, Tim, uh, we've got a little table to show. Yeah, so there were actually several different types of tithe. One, you had to give 10% of everything you have to the Levites, just for the running of the temple, for the staffing of the temple, essentially, and for their living costs. There was another one where maybe every year, but it's not quite clear whether it happens on years three and six out of a seven-year cycle, you for your household, you're supposed to just use 10% of your income in one go to throw a big party to, again, enjoy the abundance of God. And then on years three and six out of a seven-year cycle, you would do the same, but instead of for your own household, you give it away to the orphan and the widow and the foreigner for them to have a party with and enjoy the abundance of God as well. And maybe if it's in that three and six year, it might be both. So in the end, tithing ends up giving away 20% of your income every year, maybe 23% if you sort of add that year three and six, and then the Sabbath year at the end has its entirely own separate set of offerings that you would give. So tithing isn't just giving 10%. There's quite a lot that goes into it, and it's very different in our modern context. So when someone says Christians just have to give 10% of their income, that's really not what it says. There were no taxes for the people of Israel until they were then occupied by the nation later. So they weren't then adding taxes on top of that. Um, also, when you are harvesting in an agricultural society, or you're giving away 10% of your crop or 10% of your flock, then it comes at lambing season, I guess. I don't know how it works exactly. But it's very different to our regular income where we know what we're going to get. Um, and so I think, I think our modern practice that has sort of formed in some parts of the church where Christians just give 10%, it's what you have to do. I think it comes from these tithes, and I think it comes from the grain offering, and people have sort of merged those two ideas together. And 
I think it is helpful in some ways to think Christians give 10%, just as a benchmark to start with. So if you want to start giving proportionally out of your income, you can say, well, what would 10% of my income be? And then you go, I couldn't afford to give that, so give less. If you think, hmm, 10%, that would be actually not much of a sacrifice, that wouldn't be very hard, give more. 10% is a useful benchmark for deciding what to give, but it is not at all a requirement for people in the church. Nor does it ever say that you have to give money to your church. It, we need money as a church to run, to function, to pay the staffing costs, but generosity doesn't have to be give to the church. It can be given, giving in lots of ways. So you should decide for yourself, as with all these offerings that I'm saying, what is going to cultivate that heart of generosity in your life. I'm going to go back to our fifth type of sacrifice now, which is the ascension offering or the burnt offering. And this is where you take an entire animal and the whole thing on the altar goes up in flames. Not hard to see why it's called a burnt offering, but a bit confusing why it might be called an ascension offering. And the reason is because what happens after it has been burned up by fire is that it goes up in smoke, literally goes up. And you can imagine that kind of the smoke is rising up to God. It is filled with symbolism about this animal being transformed into a new kind of body, into smoke, that kind of body which can go up to heaven and be with God. It may sound familiar if, you're, if you know about Jesus. It is extremely costly, though. The whole animal is gone. There's no, none that you take home and enjoy that you throw a party with. None that goes to the Levites to feed them. The whole thing is gone. You might be able to think of a story in the New Testament about the woman with the alabaster jar. And she comes and she anoints Jesus with this very expensive perfume. And everyone's going, oh, that's so expensive. We could have fed the poor with that. Why have you done that? And Jesus just says, no. She has done an incredible thing. It would be a bit like just taking a 20-pound note and just tearing it to pieces. I don't know, because it's plastic, how easy it's going to tear. But I've got scissors. <laughs> it would be like taking a pair of scissors to a 20-pound note and just saying, this, this is for God. I don't need it. This is quite a countercultural act, I would say. <laughs> it's costly, right? <laughs> that is what an ascension offering is about. It's about saying, to be honest, it's basically worthless compared to the presence of God in our lives. This idea of being transformed into a new body also appears all over the Bible. If you think about Daniel's friends, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, when they go into the furnace, and Jesus, or some, some figure is there with them in the fire, in kind of a weird, shining body. 
There is a transformation that goes on when they pay that ultimate sacrifice. And they come through the fire, literally, into a new kind of being. You might be able to think of Isaiah when he is burned by the coal from the altar, but he isn't burned up, he isn't consumed by the fire, but he is transformed, he is made clean in his new type of body. You might also think of Eden, the Garden of Eden, which has flaming, twirling swords preventing people from getting back in. So the way back into the Garden of Eden, into God's perfect mode of existence, is to pass through the fire and to be transformed into a new kind of being. Romans 12, we've got a a slide for this one, verse 1. Paul urges his brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's this whole burnt offering, this ascension offering, which is holy and pleasing to God, which is your true and proper worship. This is the kind of sacrifice that Jesus was for us. But if we take up our cross and follow him, it's also the kind of sacrifice we are supposed to make of our own lives. Everything we have is worth cutting to pieces because we are called to give everything. The purpose and the heart of generosity that is supposed to be built in our lives is all about the cross. It is to recognize the ultimate act of generosity which Jesus has done, his all-sufficient sacrifice, which he did 2,000 years ago. It is about thanking him for that generosity. It is also about emulating that generosity, about taking up our own cross to follow him as he has told us to. And so I leave you with the question again, What habits in your life will help train your heart towards this kind of generosity? Maybe you want to just give a little bit and see what happens. See how God uses that to train your heart. And then that can start the cycle of give as an act of worship, train your heart as an act of formation. When you grasp the generous heart of God, It changes the question of what must I give to what can I give. Tim, if we can have the one with the plant. Um, Back a couple. One more. That's the one. I hope you can read it. If you have never given before, and you're now thinking, how do I start giving? Because the generous heart of God seems to be something which is quite important to him. Just give something is the first place to start. It doesn't really matter what you give. You can give it to the church. You can give it to someone you know in need. You can give it to another charity. Just give some money somewhere. You might think, but I have so little. How can I give anything away? And you remember the the widow with the two mites who gave in just two coins into the temple, and Jesus said, she has given more than anyone else. You don't have to give a huge sum of money, 
And then step in and give regularly is the next step. Just give a little bit every month, or if you can't afford, give a little bit every year if you need to. Just make it regular. And then the next step up is to give proportionally out of your income, which doesn't have to be 10%. It can be any amount, but the idea is that if your income is more, then you should give more. If your income is less, you give less. And then finally, it's a journey. You just go on from there. Give more and more. Enjoy what it means to share in God's generous heart. And we're going to finish by saying the generosity prayer together because this is one of those habits that we as a church have built into our regular weekly rhythms in order to form this generous heart together. So I'm going to invite Hannah and the band to come up and get ready because we'll we'll also sing together afterwards. Um, But if you would like to open your heart to this generosity prayer and allow it to form you, and do please stand with me, and we'll say together, nice and slowly, this generosity prayer, which if you've been with us for a while, you'll know it well. Holy Father, there is nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you, bought by the blood of Jesus to spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot abide. But generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord, who love him with free hearts and serve him with renewed minds, who withstand the illusion of riches which chokes the word, whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the systems of the world. I am determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person among us. I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with true riches. Above all, I am determined to be generous because you, Father, are generous. It is the delight of your daughters and sons to share your traits and to show what you are like to the world. Amen.